Hi, What The Health Tech listeners. I'm your host this week, Justine Abson. This is the podcast where we tackle some of the trending topics, ideas and best practice across health and social care. This week, I'm speaking to Anne-Marie Perry, who is the founder of CareMatch. With over 30 years of experience, she launched CareMatch with the aim of answering one critical question in an ever-evolving industry. What makes great care? This is a subject we're all incredibly passionate about, so I'm so excited to talk to her today about this and a lot more. Anne-Marie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Justine. It's really nice to be here. Thank you. (laughs) Now, there's so much when I was looking at doing a bit of research for this, there's so much that I could chat to you about. So can we start with the fact that you founded CareMatch in 2017 with the idea of delivering care differently? So what does CareMatch do and how are you different to other home care providers? Um, Well, we're different because I needed to... I started with an ethos and we'll talk about this a bit later, but I started with the ethos that I needed to give the carers more. I needed to drive up quality and I need to keep the charges the same. And so I had to find a way of doing that. And actually, I've been in care for 37 years, which is a really long time. But whenever I've sat with carers, they're the ones who know the clients the best. So that's where I started and thought if the carers know the clients the best, surely they should be the ones that are driving the care because they know what outcomes a a client might or care receiver we call them um, might want to achieve they know how the client is feeling on that day um, and then they they will know how best to deliver that so the difference with care match when we start care any of us in in the care world you know we all want to make a difference that's it we we don't start this job trying to do it badly we genuinely don't um so um the, the, the main difference about care match is the carers have complete autonomy. The relationship is between the care receiver and the caregiver um, and they drive the care journey. So they're the ones that decide what the care receiver decides what they need. The caregiver says, OK, I can give it to you in this way at these times. There's a lot of flexibility and cooperation and collaboration. And so the main difference, self-managed teams of carers who deliver to the vulnerable in their own community without any management infrastructure at all. That point you made about, you know, the caregivers knowing the care receivers more than more than anyone. Um, it almost seems like such a straightforward thing that I think people forget about. Um, it's, you know, of course they're going to know, know their care receivers much better than, than anyone else. So um, hopefully that makes a big difference to, to ha- what care they get. That's absolutely true. There's, there's often a disconnect, though, um, with family members because um, if you have an elderly parent, for example, who's dementing, Um, the care receivers will deal with what's being presented today, knowing what they do about dementia and, and, and the skills that they have. The family member might be remembering their parent as a young, active or younger, active, very involved individual who did a lot in their community. And there's sometimes a disconnect between the care is saying, but actually mum won't want to do that, you know, and the client saying, or the advocate, we call the family members or the people who are engaged with their elderly relatives or, or children, um, the advocates, they will, they will believe that they know best. And sometimes they do, they genuinely do, but they will sometimes try and, and 
get the carer to deliver to the person that they knew previously, which might not be the right thing. So it's a very delicate, and we appreciate it's a really delicate balance, but the carers do too. Yeah, it must it must be a really difficult kind of, sometimes difficult conversation and things like that to have as well when, when you're sort of the professional yeah. versus the family member, which is obviously someone that's incredibly close to, to the care receiver as well. So that's, you asked, what do we do differently? So that's really a key part of what we do. We build communities of carers. So um, you might have a community of 20 or so carers that all work together to deliver the, the vulnerable in their area. Um, and we do develop what we call a care hub around every care receiver. So that's four or five carers who just know everything about the care receiver, all the nuances. But it's, as you just said, Justine, it's very simple stuff. It's just, when I go into the house, do I know where the coffee is? Do I know how they like their coffee? Do I need to read the care plan? No, I don't, because I actually did the call last night, and so I know where they are in their care journey. So by having four or five dedicated care members in a care hub, you've got a very continuous delivery, actually, of care. Having the community for the caregivers, you've got the support. And that's really key. Carers' biggest complaint, wages, um, and I think we've addressed that because the carers get more. Um, The second one is not feeling valued. Now, I run a domiciliary care business, so I run a very traditional care business as well. And um, we do a lot to try and make carers feel valued. You know, we we have all sorts of communication channels, just a massive amount, awards, all sorts of things. But, you know, the thing that they feel valued most about is when they get the smile at the end of the day or the end of the call from that elderly person. So in Care Match, that value piece comes from the relative and the care receiver, which is the most valuable place for it to come from. So the care that that sort of blown away that myth of not feeling valued because you get your value from your care receiver and your advocates, your family. Yeah, we've um, we've spoken numerous times on on the podcast with within previous episodes about people that go into the world of um, a social care, and that people go into it, it's more of a vocation, um, and the people that do go into it really do want to make that difference and feel that value. And just that point you mentioned about you know kind of knowing you've done a good job for for that care receiver yeah. is. I can imagine makes you feel incredibly proud. Yeah, they just look lovely and they're smiling when you, or they're not actually, but you know that they're not going to smile anyway. <laughs> That's fine because again, yeah. the carers really know them. And and I've got one or two carers that say, you know, I really like the grumpy old ladies. Give them to me because <laughs> I just love the feistiness and you think, great. And, that, and that's a really good match. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm going to skip forward a couple of questions because you've mentioned about community and, and hub um, and your care hubs. So I just want to touch on, you know, that having a feeling of community is such an important part of life um, for your staff for, and especially for older people as well that, that might be living in their own homes. Um, obviously, you've mentioned your care hubs. Can you tell us a bit more about what they actually involve? Yes. Can I just wind back a little bit? So, so community is completely valuable and actually one good thing that came out of COVID was the value of community. You know, we saw WhatsApp groups and we saw charities and we saw lots of just sort of splinter groups, didn't we, set up and and start looking after anyone that might need help in their, compu- in their community. And that really accelerated the care match ethos, if you like. So um, that community piece is is really key for us because it provides a support infrastructure for all of the carers. Um, your question was 
uh, can I explain a bit more about the care hubs? Is that right? So, yeah. So we have a community, say, of 15 to 20 carers in an area, and they are the designated carers for that area and they'll have a variety of skill sets and can work a variety of different times um, and have a variety of hobbies and interests and also so a really eclectic mix of people and then you'll have a care receiver who um, well actually their advocate their family member who'll be looking for care so they'll go online and say I'm looking for care and they'll say you know mum used to ride um, is a smoker has pets and has COPD okay um, so, so you would want in in her care hub, ideally a carer who's got experience of COPD, um, but definitely carers who've agreed to work with smokers and pets. Um, but you will get a selection of ten carers, all who will be able to do this job well based on what you've said your mum's needs are, um, and the top. One, if you're lucky, will have COPD experience because not everyone will have. But certainly the top five or six will have said, look, we're happy to work with pets and smokers. Um, And, you know, you'll try and match the hobbies as well. Ideally, you need to find carers that are closest to you because that means that the carers are spending more time delivering care and less time in the car. So that's a real um, and also with with just green objectives and, and carbon emissions going forward. That's a really valuable thing to be promoting now. Um, so. So you'll get a list of 10 carers and you and we tell you pick four. One won't do it because if you think you've got to have three calls covered a day, seven days a week, one carer can't physically do that. They've got to have some downtime. So pick two or three and then pick a fourth for when everyone's sick and that awful day when no one can do it. So the fourth and fifth carers who might not come in so often, they might do every other Saturday or something like that, but they'll mm-hmm. still understand the client. So that creates that dedicated care team called the Care Hub. Family members are also in that Care Hub. So, for example, we had a Care Hub where we had family members who weren't really sure mum was getting the care that she needed and they were really worried about it. And that's because they lived in Canada. So they had no idea of what was going on. And um, they're in the Care Hub now and they see photos um, of what mum's doing and they completely interactive in the care journey so everything that the carers do everyone in the care hub knows about it so suddenly these fa- these family members went from serial complainers in that I had a call from them every day to never hearing from them again because they're so happy with what's happening and that's just the beauty of the hub you know it keeps everyone involved and everyone can have their say mum hates it when you make a coffee that strong, can you please make it? A <laughs> and it's very simple stuff, Justine. It's very yeah. simple. But that's the stuff that if we get right, it makes everyone's life so much easier. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse than somebody making you a tea or a coffee, coffee and it's nothing how you <laughs> like it. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. And, and just another point about that community piece is... Uh, again, COVID, a million people came to the fore, didn't they, to help mm. uh, their communities. And you're just thinking, our industry is 160,000 light. So I only need 16% of those people, those volunteers that came to the fore to change the world in care in in England or in the UK, actually. That has to be possible, doesn't it? And these are all people with the right values who want to make a difference. So that's that's what we're trying to do when we're trying to engage those people and Mm. and you're right when you said the care receivers feeling part of a community is really important three key reasons for hospitalization isolation poor nutrition and poor meds handling 
isolation should not be a thing, you know. Um, so we could easily, we can easily uh, um, challenge that, I think. Yeah, it's really interesting you mentioned that it's we in fact, in one of the very first podcasts we did, um, we spoke to um, Biggie and Donerkey. And he made a really good point about, you know, years and years ago, people used to live in obviously terraced houses with sort of smaller walls and smaller fences. And it was such a natural thing that you'd go out in your garden and you'd chat to your neighbours over the wall and, you know, that interaction, that community feel. And now that's, it's not really as much of a big thing. Um, and then, it, like you mentioned, you know, COVID, it sort of came back a little bit. Yeah. And I think, you know, just having that, being able to, you know, say hi to your next door neighbour, to smile at them, to, you know, ask how their day is. Sometimes that makes somebody feel so much better. Um, it, and I just think it's such a nice thing to do. Look, I live in a road where my husband and I lower the average age limit by about 20 years. So that gives you an idea of how old <laughs> our road is and or our, our cul-de-sac. So... I can do four care calls on the way to work and four on the way back. And mm. my family would never notice the difference because I'd just leave maybe an hour earlier and I'd be home an hour later, but it wouldn't impact on my family or my life at all, but it impacts on theirs. And I was around the other day and one of my old ladies in my road, she needed a chimney swept. I've never swept a chimney in my life. <laughs> but we got there and we did it and she's just she was skipping to the door she was so happy that it had been, and it was so easy you know it was fun <laughs> yeah and it's known that impact you've had on somebody's day as well which is is lovely um there's a really nice quote on your website um what you said about so great care starts with the team who provides the service we are striving for a delivery where we reduce stress and anxiety for both carers and clients all members work together to achieve outcomes and deliver what the clients need to live as independently as possible in their own home. So, you know, we hear a lot about how fundamental a great team is and how this strengthens relationships with with clients. We've we've sort of touched on it already in the podcast today. Um, how do you ensure you've got the right team in place to be able to deliver that care that you really want to, to achieve? So uh, we might not have that perfect yet, but but we have we have several communities and they're zinging and it's it's really around value based recruitment so it's about people it's it's those that million volunteers that came to the fore it's those people that have the right values that want to make a difference that want to help and actually if you look at society today it's looking at trying to do much more for both the the planet and its community than perhaps it was. We're, we're, you know, we're in a very different place than we were maybe 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, which is great actually for care. So mm. we absolutely look at that value piece and, and we we have a set of scenario cards that we give out when, when people come to, to talk to us. And so for example, you might get us, if you came to say, I'm looking to do care, you might get a scenario card that says, what would you do if you your client wasn't home? And the person who says, oh, I'd go on to the next call, you think, okay, you might not have this right. The person who says, well, I'd put my hand, you know, open the letterbox and shout through that and I'd knock on the neighbor's door and I'd call the family. So they're the person with the right values that understands the importance of what they're doing. So, and we've got 20 or 30 of these value cards, but those set our procedures and we don't have a hierarchy. It's really, you know, it's, it's a very flat, uh, system and everyone has a say and a view and 
the carers, as we've said before, will generally know the care receivers better um, or best. And so we listen to them and then we say, okay, but from a legislative point of view, this needs to be handled. So how do we do that? And so it's a very cooperative and collaborative approach. And it's amazing. And in an interesting, our probably most successful community has got carers that didn't start life in care. So they haven't been phased by the very traditional domiciliary care provider where you have you are in fear of legislation every day and you're very cautious. You you have to be cautious, mm. but the risks are no different. It's a lone worker in somebody's house who has to make a decision about the care that they're delivering. And as long as you've got the training and you've got the support, that's the key, uh, the support which comes mm. from the community, then you can, you're free to do, you know, the best for the client. And we, we within a community, we have what we call a coach and we have a community champion. And so the coach is the person who absolutely, so they do have a lot of knowledge around care. So, for example, um, something that might happen in, in caregiver's life is they make a mi mistake with the medication. Uh, so, for example, they might give a tablet four hours in between instead of six hours between tablets. Yeah. Um, mm. Now, that's a mistake and is taken really serious in, seriously in social care. So in our world, in Care Match, what the carer would do is they go to phone the coach and they go, I've made an error with the meds. And the coach will say, okay, so what have you done about it? Well, I've called the GP. And what did they say? They said, well, look, monitor the client, then there's nothing There's nothing really untoward that's, that's going to happen. What else mm -hmm. have you done? I phoned the pharmacy and there are no contraindications. So they've said, again, just monitor the client and check right you've posted it in the care hub so everyone knows family everyone knows that this has happened it's a genuine error people make mistakes maybe come back and review your training you know because your training is in date because it has to be in order for you to deliver care so come back review your training do it again you do now understand the importance <laughs> of what you're doing uh, the system will actually also now notify you and say look you can't give this now you should be waiting so that's where mm -hmm. our technology helps obviously yeah, and no, I think I think that sounds sounds great, and you've clearly got a a great team in place with within the hubs. Um, so giving people chance to you know the chance to live in their own homes for longer is something you know to get that feeling of independence. It's so important to so many people. Where did the passion come from you to provide that best quality of care that you can? Oh, that's easy. I, I mean, I set out to change the world. Um. <laughs> long, long time ago, 37 years ago. And and uh, everyone starts, you know, they've got an elderly parent and they want the best for them and you've got to find care and all those things. I actually ran a care home uh, prior to doing this, uh, well, prior to doing my dom care business. And that was a hiding, or is, very difficult because we have a lot of constraints from the regulators who I don't find are the most proactive um, so I find them a bit more of a hindrance than a help, to be honest. Um, and uh, it, it all started, actually, I thought, as I said at the beginning, I wanted to give more to the carers, I wanted to improve quality, and I needed to keep the, the prices the same. So, and I believed that technology could help. And, and actually, I was in London with my daughter, you know, this is seven, eight years ago. And um, she said, oh, Mum, let's get a taxi. So I'm thinking black cab, you know, I'll hail a black cab. She says, no, mum, we'll, we'll get an Uber. 
oh, what's that? And she says, you need to download the app, mum, you know. <laughs> but basically, it's a taxi, it's a driver who's closest, who's free. Now, at that time, we had, in my other business, we had 15 offices, 15,000 hours, and I'd had three managers who were just really struggling. So we'd taken over centrally doing their rotors. So I was doing rotors in West Sussex, Chichester, in Horsham, and in Basingstoke. And there was a half hour call in Basingstoke. I just could not cover. I'd stretched everything. You know, everyone was working that could be working. There was just nothing more that I could do. And I had to, I ended up bringing a carer from Wales um, just for a half hour call, putting them up in a and b mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it, for the weekend. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. What clinched it for me was on the Monday when I went into the office, one of the girls in the office said, do you know, Amory, there were two carers. They don't work for us, but they were free and they know care, obviously, and all those sort of things. They'd have done yeah. it. Now, not ideal for the, the client because they wouldn't have known the carers, but it would have been safe. <laughs> Yeah, and and I wouldn't have had to bring someone all the way down from Wales and spend a weekend, um, you know. So that's when Care Match was born in my head. So I had, I wanted to find the carers that were free, the best solution, and create a community that looked after itself. And here we are. Fantastic. Um, again, you've brought me really, really nicely onto my next question because it's about technology and innovation. So. You've received industry or Care Match has received industry recognition for an innovative approach to care. And you also recently spoke at Langbusson's Innovation of Care Conference in Birmingham. So why is innovation such a key part of providing great care? And how important do you think it is that we continue to find and share the latest innovations that can help? Oh, there is so much more to do then, I mean, we have just scratched the surface. So in domiciliary care, technology has been around for a while, you know, that you, it's it's slightly different from tech that maybe the youngsters will think of and, the, you know, sensors, et cetera, et cetera. But um, in domiciliary care, technology rostering, care planning has been around for a long while, uh, has improved dramatically over the, the last five years because people have begun to understand a bit better. Um, having said all of that, when when the idea of Care Match was born, we I got a, um, a CTO, a Chief Technical Officer, and he looked at everything that was out there in the marketplace um, and to see if there was, there was something we could use that existed already and there wasn't, interestingly. And that's because we wanted to give the power to the people. So we wanted the carers to, to own it. Um, we wanted to engage family members and make sure that the family members were an integral part of that care journey. They didn't sit in a portal watching what was going on. They absolutely interacted. In fact, they can cover the calls, you know, that's fine. Um, and uh, so, so I believe that was a good way to go. Um, and then often you'll find the tech platform we've had people sell us tech in my other business and you'll say uh where's the body map because you need a body map for marking wounds or pressure area care or anything like that and they'll go oh well we've decided you don't need a body map and and i sit aghast and i go but the poor carers you know what do they do when they get somebody who comes home or they start a package and there are three red marks that will turn into a pressure sore and they can't tell you that they, I mean, they can tell you, but they can't mark them where they've seen it. You need body maps. Mm. And interestingly enough, they now have body maps, by the way. But but <laughs> it, it the point there is it's techies have decided what 
the world needs. Now, our advantage, I believe, with Chematch is we are carers that have worked in the industry for many, many moons. <laughs> so we know what we want. And we've gone to the tech world and said, this is what we want. Um, and in fact, I just to come to this, I just came off our, a call with our, our developers and they were going, look, this is a really good screen. I was going, no, it's hopeless. I can't see what I, I can't see what's on my day. And they were going, no, no, but you can scroll. I said, we'll miss calls. I don't want that. I want to see mm -hmm. as a carer what I've got for the whole day. You know, so it's it's again, simple stuff. But we know we believe rightly or wrongly, um, <laughs> you know, what what the gotchas are and therefore we should start to mitigate those now yeah it's the collaboration isn't it I mean something that we pride ourselves on at Radar Healthcare is the flexibility of our system because you mentioned body maps for example you know everybody wants sort of slightly different things and you know that's why we have a solution that basically people can make you know create how they want to how they want it to work um, but it's about working in collaboration with Always. our partners to make sure it does it does work for for what they need it to. Yeah. Always. Always. So um, you're also involved with Abbey Care, um, who since the start of COVID set up care hotels to support local provision. Can you tell me a little bit more about these and how you work with the NHS to provide active solutions to help ease the pressures? Yeah. So um, I mentioned earlier, I used to run a care home. And we got a request March 2020 to say, could we put domiciliary carers into a care hotel and do visits in the care hotel? Um, so uh, that was with, with a, um, a local authority that we used to work for anyway. So we said, yes, we can, but actually don't use domiciliary care workers, use living carers because um, COVID, at the very start of COVID, we didn't know the risks of cross-infection. We didn't want to start bringing people from external in and, mm -hmm. and all of those things. So we said, put living carers in the hotel and then they can do the visits. But actually, we changed that very quickly and just said, put living carers in the hotel and run it as living care in a hotel setting and let's engage the community. Because once it's, once it's been tested and remains COVID-free for X number of days, then you could release the, the community effectively to integrate with itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, and because I had come originally from a care home, I just knew all the policies and procedures that we needed to make sure we covered off things like clinical waste and just all that stuff. We had a knowledge. Um, so suddenly we have knowledge of living care. We had knowledge of care homes and we put those two together to create the care hotel. Uh, we spoke to our inspectors and they were, it, I mean, it was very, very new and they didn't really know what to say. But we said, look, we've done a policy and procedure manual. So we wrote a full manual. Um, we found 100 carers in 10 days, wrote full manuals uh, and worked so closely with the NHS. It was the most refreshing 10 days of my life. I have to tell you, it was lovely because you just, we all sat in the room and said, right, we wrote the policies and procedures and we, we set up the processes and, and it was amazing. And we started to make a difference in that people could be discharged from hospital to another setting to create space in the hospital. So word got out effectively and we <laughs> did 20, I think, wow. in the end. Um, and we were good at finding carers, good at training people. Um, 
the carers when they came in. So we always put them in, trained them before the care hotel opened to, to patients and then delivered the care. So um, and it was written into the NHS processes as a, as a BCP for any sort of pandemics or challenging situations where the hospitals are challenged um, and it works. And the beauty of the care hotels is you can switch them on and off. So, as I said, we found 100 carers in 10 days. We set up 20 care hotels. Um, it's a lot of work. But, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> but, but we're still here and still smiling. Yeah. Uh, very grey, but other than that. And um, <clears throat> it was, it, it, it is great. And, and now we've got cohorts of staff that just say in the winters, are you doing any care hotels? We'll go, yes, and they'll say, pick me. So we've created this very different world where the carers come to us now and say, we'll come and work for you which is just amazing. So, uh, yeah, we're currently doing two care hotels still. I mean, that's incredible to have carers coming to you as well. That That's just a testament to, to obviously the type of business and, and company that you've you've helped create, I think, um, and going back to that value bit and, and people wanting to make a difference, which is, is just incredible. Yeah, I mean, they are actually good fun as well. You know, it's I think you need fun in your work life in order to enjoy it, obviously. Um, And domiciliary care has a really bad press, unfortunately, and the culture's not great and the people don't feel valued. So Care Match absolutely tried to change all that and I believe we're doing that. Care hotels, traditional domiciliary care, well, slightly out the box domiciliary care. And again, achieved it. You know, people love doing it, which is just perfect. It means it's a success. Yeah, definitely. So what about in the future when it comes to care um, and how people are looked after in later life? What would you like to see happen in the next five, ten years? I don't think what I would like to see will actually ever. (laughs) (laughs) But what I think will happen, I mean, you know, we've got a problem. We've got the ageing population is increasing. The care workforce is decreasing. And there's never enough money. So how do you square that circle? You know, uh, how do you square that circle? And I think the only way I believe that you can do that is I think uh, we already in domiciliary care and care homes, actually, uh, we're seeing more and more complex people come through. And and therefore, in the time that I've been in domiciliary care, that the skill set of the workforce has had to change dramatically over the last um, 15, 17 years. and and before we used to seriously you used to say can do you want to do care yes i do oh lovely off you go then and and we thought well we'll give them a bit of training but it was really 20 years ago uh, in domiciliary care it was about you go out and you help a little old lady give them lunch and tea and you know it's a lovely life um that's mm. just not the case now you have such complex needs our carers are a very skilled uh profession so I think actually traditional domiciliary care will become more healthcare at home and will upskill the workforce. We need to because the NHS is crumbling. Um, mm. I would like to see the NHS recognise that investment in social care will will help the NHS budget. You know, we spoke about poor meds, isolation, poor food. If you were if you if you tackle those three things and also have some predictive technology around falls which exists and you can do really easily we can ease the nhs budget our nhs budget in social care dramatically 
but they don't recognize that. So the investment never comes from NHS or government. If you look at the, the billions of pounds that were awarded, they said to social care, they said, but it's going to go to the NHS first, by the way. And you think just you need to recognize the value of social care to to help the NHS budgets. And I, and I don't think we're there yet. So I'd like to see that change. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Oh, sorry, what about- just on that, Justine. And sorry, yeah. one more thing. And and then the, the likes of Care Match. So those self-managed teams, they should be the ones that are doing that less complex stuff. But again, they have that value because by managing well-being, preventing falls and doing all of that good stuff, you then also prevent hospitalisation. So it is about complete investment in social care and there's a gradation that you could have in the in the social care sector yeah it's about creating those better outcomes isn't it oh for, always yeah for the um the care receivers basically yeah and what about care match what's next for care match what what's the future looking like for for you take over the world i mean I'm still <laughs> I trying it. to do that <laughs> i don't think i'll ever stop but so we've got communities now um we our platforms working everything's ready to just zing so now it's about getting ourselves out there building lots of communities because the idea is then we'll get interlapping overlocking communities right through the country and once you've got that rather than just having support in your care hub from the community communities have support from two or three or four communities around them so i keep i create this very interconnected community care world that can help anybody. If I'm a provider that needs a carer, you could find one because there'll be a care match community. If I'm a care home that needs a carer, you can find one because I belong to a care match community. But most importantly, if I'm an individual at home who needs a carer, you can find one. There's a care match community. I love the sound of that. And I'd love to chat to you again in in another 12 months and and see exactly where Care Match is because it it sounds fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Well, hopefully one day. (laughs) Well, at the end of every episode, we ask everybody to describe their what the health tech moment. So this is a bit of fun. We know people have got lots of weird and wonderful stories, emotional stories from from their time in the industry. So Anne-Marie, what's your what the health tech moment that you'd like to share with us? Okay, so, well, we've spoken a lot about Care Match and there was a lot riding on this in that I had to prove self-sustaining communities worked and that people could self-manage and that it the Care Hub worked and all of these great ideas that, well, I'm saying they're great, but I believe they were great ideas would work. And we had just started and very fortunately, we had had a local authority that had gone there with us and they'd given us a cohort of hours and clients and we built the community and off we went. And it was New Year's Day, so probably about five weeks after we'd actually set up our first community. And I had um, a daughter of a client phone me, furious, and um, she said, uh, you've missed my dad's call last night and this is New Year's Eve. And uh, what I haven't told you is this lady was actually a CQC inspector. So this is a heart stopping moment for me on New Year's Day, not New Year's Day. So I said, uh, gosh, I said, I'm, I'm really sorry. Do you want to just talk me through this? And she said, well, dad called my sister, who was a, she was very cross, who was at a New Year's Eve party herself and said his carer hadn't turned up. So I said, so what happened? She said, well, she posted in the care hub. And Mel said he'd be there. So I said, oh, okay. Did Mel turn up? She said, yes, yes, yes. And I said, 
And does dad know Mel? Yes, he loves Mel. In fact, he turned up with a crumble and, you know, and I said, and how late was the call? And she said, seven minutes. And then the phone went silent for, I let it stay silent for a bit. Mm. <laughs> she went silent. <laughs> and then I just said, do you know, I think that's a result. I mean, seven minutes. She said, actually, Anne-Marie, that's quite good, isn't it? I said, it just proves to me that the system worked. And I said, I knew all about this, by the way. So, and I said, and actually, Mel stayed with dad and saw the new year in with a glass of sherry. She said, yeah, I know he oh, does wow. that. And, and, um, and he took a crumble because uh, he was a great foodie. And, and, you know, they had a good evening, didn't they? She said, yeah. Anyway, I said, look, this is a pilot. You don't have to be part of it. I'm very happy for you to phone the local authority and say you want to be withdrawn. No, why would I do that? But that was the moment for me that you just think, okay, this can work. And with the right people and the right technology, we can get this right. Oh, that's that's a lovely end to to a great podcast. So I'm going to I'm going to leave it there because that's a yeah, I think that's that's the perfect end. Um, so thank you so much for joining us this week, Anne-Marie. I've, I've really enjoyed chatting to you. And thank you to everybody for listening. Join us again next week for another new episode. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. And if you have any questions for us or our guests, please email whatthehealthtech at radarhealthcare.com. Hold up. 